You're listening to the Tuna Town Talks Fishing Podcast with Captain Paul Miller. Hello everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm a full-time charter captain based out of Ennis, Louisiana, and over the years I've seen some of the most incredible things, and some of my friends have told me some of the most unbelievable stories, so much to where I decided I would like to start a podcast. And now a word from our title sponsor, Blue Wave Boats. Blue Wave has been the number one selling bay boat along the Gulf Coast for many years now. And with over 50 square miles of marsh located out of Venice, Louisiana, it is essential that I choose the right boat to put my clients on fish. For the last four to five years, I've been using a 24-foot bay boat powered with a single 300 Suzuki, and it's been an amazing boat. However, over the years, I've also learned that I like to target a lot of different species that are near shore, so having a bigger boat with more power could help with that, which is why I've decided to move to a 26 Pier Bay powered with twin 200 Suzukis, and this has been the perfect size boat for being able to target multiple different species, especially because the boat has over four live wells in it, which allows me to use multiple different baits to target multiple different species. With the flush mounted seating, I'm also able to maintain ample fishability, all while still providing a comfortable ride for my clients. With the step toll technology, I'm able to be more fuel efficient at higher speeds, which is also a huge advantage when making long runs through the marsh. If you would like to purchase a Blue Wave boat, head on over to bluewaveboats.com where you can find your local dealer. One of my favorite things to eat while out on the water is either beef jerky or snack sticks. And my favorite place to get this is bourgeoismeatmarket.com. That's right, guys. This is some really good stuff. They don't use any nitrates or preservatives. It comes from one of the oldest meat markets in the world with over 130 years in existence and their fourth generation taking over now. I really want to get the word out about their product and how easy it is to go on their website, order what you want, and leave it on your boat. So go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's right, guys. Go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's bourgeoismeatmarket.com. B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S meatmarket.com. All right, guys, um, here with a returning guest, uh, Tom Hilton. Really excited about this one. This was one of my favorite episodes that I've done in the past, so I'm glad to have you on again, Tom. Um, go ahead and say hey to everybody. Howdy, howdy. Good, <laughs> always good to be uh, back and see you again there, Paul. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we're, we're here at the Biloxi Billfish Classic once again. Seems to be a meeting point for us. So Yeah, I love this uh, tournament. I, I launched the site, uh, Hilton's Real-Time Navigator, here 19 years ago. You launched it here. Here. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. cool. So I've been here every year. Every and, year uh, since, right? And it always falls right on my anniversary date, you know, June 6, 1944, D-Day. <laughs> June 6, 1992, <laughs> D-Day. So uh, now the wife and now the, the family, everybody comes here, uh, every Mississippi Billfish Classic. So kind of. Yeah, it's a big party, man. It's kind of, yeah, kind of screws me on being able to fish it but uh <laughs> it's, it's good man it's it's a great uh just the reunion every year with it, seeing everybody on the docks i just love you know walking down the dock and seeing everybody seeing you and yeah it's super cool it's, it's uh, definitely like a meeting ground for all these fishermen and stuff and yeah all. i think the dock hang might be 
funner than the actual fishing <laughs> at times for me but it's yeah it's all fun the, the fishing the yeah just stay away from fun. the craps table because uh, man. <laughs> man, dude i love craps yes, man uh, i freaking love craps yeah <laughs> man i was i was already out of my my budget by the time i got my first beer i was like damn <laughs> sometimes it's early. like that with craps especially craps yeah. man it definitely does but um you you've um so you've been d- doing hilton's for 19 years for the guys that haven't listened to my previous podcast tom owns uh hilton's what is it hilton's navigator yeah hilton's real-time navigator or right. hilton's offshore.com right and that's how yeah. they can purchase it and basically what it is guys I'll, in a real short version he can tell you he's going to tell you a lot more about it but it you're able to see currents and chlorophyll mapping and all that kind of stuff and maybe you can go ahead and dive in and tell us more about that and and the new product that you're you've just gotten out sure yeah it's uh, basically a it's an online mapping service where you can track all the dynamic imageries uh, sea surface temperatures altimetry uh, watercolor which is your chlorophyll um, surface currents um, salinity and so forth and then we overlay it with uh, waypoints of known fishing spots like the spur and double nipple and all the spars and the tracking the drill ships and the semi-submersibles that move around quite a bit that are basically fish attractors. Right. Yeah. And you've seen that whole, your whole, I guess, website and how you guys do it has kind of evolved over the years, right? And it's gotten better oh, yeah. as everything else has. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, uh, it's always going to be a work in progress. It'll never be a finished product. And it's right. always, you know, evolving, um, adding new features. Uh, and, of course, technology is leaping and bounding, um, trying to hold on to this technological tiger tail that we are. It's just uh, kind of difficult at times. But uh, we're, we're known for staying out in front of the curve on the technological advances. And uh, we've basically leapfrogged everyone in the industry, all of our competition and all of the chart plotter companies, uh, none of them can do what we're doing with our new system called Sat2Nav, basically satellite charts to navigation. Um, and so you can plug this device, it's basically a, an external mini computer that you plug into the back of your Garmin or Raymarine or Furuno. Uh, Simrad has an issue with their touchscreen calibration, but uh, it allows you to uh, surf Hilton's directly from your Garmin. And so like live while you're out there. Yeah, and so it's a Wi-Fi system, so you need uh, some sort of way to access the server. So um, Starlink, if you go out on the docks and you look on top of these boats now, uh, the big white radomes that are normally there, a lot of those are disappearing, and what you see is a flat plate basically on there that's the the starlink that's the starlink antenna yeah Mm -hmm. so you have high speed wi-fi anywhere out there and uh, it's it's faster than in my house you know the one (laughs) i got (laughs) so that's amazing man with the the, the evolution of this technology i mean right and then the guys that don't have that uh, they go out to the rigs you can get a cell service getting close to the rigs and use your phone as a yeah. hot spot to bring it in there that's yeah, well. crazy over the last several years you've been able to get service out there now like especially around you know right there south of venice it's yeah. pretty good gets better every year yeah, yeah. so basically uh surf this the uh the website f- directly from your chart plotter and uh 
customize your sea temp shots, save them as navigation charts, uh, save whatever charts you're interested in. We have swordfish charts and um, bat, you know, bathymetric and see, you know, the chlorophyll, the currents, the altimetry, etc. Save map, save map, save map, and then slide right back into navigation so you can create routes to temp breaks and color changes and waypoints and so forth. Right, that's really cool. Yeah. And and um, how often does these do these pictures get refreshed? Because I know, like in the past, is it is it more frequent now or? Still like once every four hours, or how does that work? It depends on the imagery. Um, chlorophyll is uh, probably the most difficult imagery to get. You'll get, you know, you're constrained to just one shot a day, if that. If you have too many clouds, you don't even get a, a download. Right. Um, but we have two or three sensors, depending on the regions uh, that are just collecting that. Sea uh, temps, uh, you get the most generations of shots out of those, which are. Uh, say 12 to 15 shots a day uh, oh, okay. and then uh, altimetry and currents is uh, once a day as well so it's uh, it's just dealing with the constraints of what's available right and where where do you think the that you guys is next um I guess where where's Hilton's headed from here just the next best thing I mean is there <laughs> anything in the future that maybe you could allude to <laughs> well um what I'm looking at is uh, using this uh, Sat2Nav platform as a hub, uh, almost like an open source uh, platform for bringing in other types of imageries outside of Hilton's. Um, I've actually been talking with one of my competitors. I'm not sure I can really <laughs> name them on the air right now because we mm -hmm. don't. <laughs> but uh, I'll be bringing in... Uh, a competitor's imagery is an option for our customers because we have I know for a fact we've got a lot of crossover customers right between Hilton's and this other company yeah, some so people want it all yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, from a customer standpoint I think that they would appreciate it if we provided the platform for both imageries on the same on your chart plotter at the same time so then you can navigate and correct routes and so forth uh, on all the imageries right that's so. super cool super cool stuff man i've always been yeah. a fan i remember i mean i was you know I'm, I'm not that old so i mean i've been able to use it kind of all <laughs> my life but <laughs> i can only imagine you know not having those 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 things <laughs> that uh that we all get to use now like i mean simple one of the sim more simple thing or it's kind of simple it's actually very complicated but having an iPilot trolling motor, you know. Oh, you, yeah. The days of anchoring up are kind of gone. And I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, a little, your own little dynamic positioning system. For yeah, a, for a small is, boat. You know, I'm crazy. an inshore fishing, you know, most <laughs> of the time. And it's it's crazy the way, you know, I always wonder what the what the next big advantage is. And, like, you know, right now with the Omni sonars that all these boats are having, you know, mm -hmm. it's actually something I wanted to talk to you about. But, uh well, you know, it's kind of debated, especially I hear people talk. I was just talking to fishermen down there at the dock. You know, a lot of people feel like, you know, these omni sonars and stuff. I, I take it you, you're very familiar. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sure. Do, do you feel like it's uh, getting too geeky or I mean, that's a very, you know, is it is it cheating? That's what people say. It's, this is like <laughs> cheating, you know, and all the all the big winners have these omni two hundred thousand dollar sonars that they're putting on all these boats now. Like what what is your take on that? Uh, again, 
you know, technology is leaping and bounding. It's just another facet of how it's affecting the fishing uh, world. Um, it's just if it's the technology's there and people are wanting to use it and they're willing to pay for it, this is America, you know. Yeah. So I, I think they have the right to do it. Now, um, it does change things somewhat. It, it's, uh, you know, I've always considered fishermen the eternal optimist. Mm-hmm. So you're casting your line out. Every time you cast, it's like, okay, I'm going to have a bite this yeah. time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so it kind of changes that perspective from being um, the optimist into mo- more of a hunter. So now you're you're yeah. in a hunting mode. You'll come up, not even put a fishing line in the water, uh, and just hunt and look and for the fish. Before look you around fish. before you even put a line down. Um, now, I was just talking with some guys today, very uh, seasoned crew, and they were talking about. Um, let's see. I guess it was uh, last. Well, it was the uh, Louisiana tournament, I think. That they were uh it was already dark i mean the sun had set and they were just about to wind up and then the captain spotted a uh a fish on the sonar mm-hmm. and so uh he uh made the presentation and uh the fish came up and uh looked wouldn't bite but stuck around and came back up looked wouldn't bite and it took maybe Oh, I don't know, 45 minutes. And they were just, you know, watching. Watching them and waiting. And and they actually got into a little bit murkier water, he said, and and finally bit. But if he didn't have that technology, he wouldn't know. Where the fish went. To stick around and wait for it to bite, you know. And it actually broke off. It was a really big fish, and they they didn't catch it. They didn't end up catching it, Mm -hmm. man. What what an upset. (laughs) Oof. That's yeah. how they go. But, uh, you know, again, uh, the other side of the coin is uh, another boat was fishing a tournament, and they were following a big fish, and they presented it, and they hooked it and fought it for a few hours, and turns out it was a bluefin. Right, wow. All right, so then they, it wouldn't didn't count toward the tournament, so they just wasted a lot of time. Yeah, they wasted a lot of time so, on something so. that was really big mark. and Right. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's fishing, you know. It uh, is still fishing. There's no doubt about it. And I think my take on it is somewhat similar to yours is like, you know, as humans, what we're doing, I mean, n- we're not fishing with cane poles anymore. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I've seen photos. <laughs> well, what uh, I mean is, is, you know, we're constantly trying to evolve to get better. You know, whatever it is we're doing. Right. And, you know, we've got these rod and reels that are, you know, top of the line. We've got these boats that are so nice and so good. And so at what point do you draw the line as to far as is what is cheating? You know, is, you know, should we go out there in rowboats and try to catch these things? <laughs> <You> <laughs> right. Know, should we go you. all the way back? Or, you uh, know, I, th- I think I, I personally like it. You know, at, at what point – you know, at what point do you say, you know, that's too much. We're we're not going to try to get any better. And I think if, you know, people can afford, I mean, in, in this game, I mean, the amount of, you know, innovation and money and, and everything that comes with these sonars, I, you know, it 
it does. It keeps a lot of people employed, and it's it's. Yeah. I mean, this is this is America, like you said. It's we we're, we progress. I think it it comes down to personal preference ultimately, and um, you know, it's kind of like um, live baiting versus lure fishing, and um, yeah, same same concept. Or let's say catch and release versus kill tournaments. Um, I think that a lot of the tournaments, again, they're evolving, and the minimum size limits are continually increasing on the kill, and um, some tournaments don't do any kill, you know. So there's a lot – most tournaments do a combination. You have a catch and release and a kill. Um, if you don't believe in the kill, don't participate. Go into catch and release. Right. Um, That's your choice. And, yeah. yeah. And maybe it could be the same thing with the sonar – in that maybe they split it out into divisions, have a sonar division, and then I think down in Costa Rica, that's what they've been doing, I believe. Really? They I have think started so. doing that? Mm -hmm. Wow. Different, different so that's a, that's a possibility or an option that if people are really concerned about it and uh, enough people that are fishing the tournament make that known to the tournament directors, then they can make those type of adjustments based on yeah. what the people want, you know. Yeah, and I, and I think you've seen, like, the tournaments. I think the tournaments do a pretty good job of, of trying to get better at not killing so many fish. Like, they went up to 110-inch fish right. and, you know, used to be 100-inch. And uh, I think most people are pretty happy with that. You yeah. Know? I, I don't yeah. think people want to see dozens and dozens of the Marlins get killed in this tournament. <laughs> I think fishermen are on the forefront of conversa uh, conservation and uh, that we are willing to make, uh, the appropriate sacrifices to better the fishery and um, nobody really complains about it. They un they understand the reasoning behind it. Yeah, yeah. There's more pressure, you know, in I think every fishery in the world right now more than ever. You know, I think that's a, a constant um, combat, you know, that we have to we have to do. And I, you know, I, I hear so many people all the time, like especially the guys that have been fishing Venice for 50 years, you know, and they're like, you know, they, they they talk about how how great it used to be and and how how much worse we're gonna make it. Um, and I think there's some truth to it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's there is, but I think there's also ways you know things that we can do to make it make it better. And um, you know, I mean, I was gonna ask you, kind of leads into one of my next questions I had for you. I heard, and you can tell me if this is true or not, but I heard that Texas is now being able to deploy fads. Is that right? Um. Well. Yeah, we uh, it's called the Hilton's Texas Fat Project. That's it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so, so cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Oh, <laughs> thanks, <bump>. man. <laughs> well, you know, these uh, the fads that they placed out of Destin were the uh, the first quote unquote legal fads ever, uh, as far as I know, uh, ever deployed in U.S. continental waters. These are yeah the ones out here out of Destin. Oh, out of Destin, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so I was shocked that they were able to uh, Me too. get yeah. approval for those. And I've got another company where we produce artificial reefs out of Texas. Uh, and uh, we developed a new process. And so we can produce these pyramids in 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Yeah. 10 foot wide, 8 foot Just tall. Spitting them out, huh? Concrete and limestone, a monolithic unit wow. that weigh about 6,500 pounds. And uh, we make 15 a day in a 10 hour day. Wow. And, and then y'all so, are putting them out there as fast as you can build them? Or? 
Not as fast as we get orders for them right now. We're waiting for uh, the next order. But, uh, Who buys them? Um, a lot of the money's through uh, the BP oil spill that gets funneled through the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. And uh, CCA uh, brings in some money in, and I think Shell Oil uh, bought That's a couple awesome. hundred, you know, a while back. And Good for them. So the uh, I, I met Alex Fogg over out of Okaloosa County. I uh, hope that he, I've dove with him several times what? over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to come out with my dad. But I, I, <laughs> Alex, if you're out there and listening, man, I want to do a podcast with you. I know you get tired of me texting you all the time. <laughs> Alex is the man. He you know, is, he, dude. Uh, he, he's got he's, it going on. Doesn't God, he? everywhere you look, he's he's doing all kinds of stuff, line fish or put down reefs and then of course he ramrodded the fads and so he was very uh, helpful in in navigating some of the the tape the red tape on uh that's on putting out the fads and, very uh, much what i wanted to know because i i recently went to a meeting and uh f- for the artificial reef program in mississippi the mississippi gulf fishing banks and you know they have permitted sites where you're allowed to dump but you're not allowed to put fads and i you know and it, they say it's because the the dmr wants it but the corps of engineers won't allow it so how how did they get that approval how, how does that work what did they have to do we're actually still navigating some of that um with the uh, the endangered species uh concerns uh with the when you're when your project is located within critical habitat then you have to address uh whether or not that will have an impact on in, on any kind of what uh, endangered species would that be? Oh, rice's whales, uh, sperm so whales. So they're afraid that the fads will affect the whales. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, it's just basically uh, a requirement that uh, of the permit that if it's located what they consider to be critical habitat, that you have to uh, submit the paperwork and and get it through the system. Get it no, so we're in the process of doing that. What about as far as navigational hazards with like the Corps of Engineers and stuff? Oh, that's Coast Guard. So that's the Coast yeah, Guard does yeah, that. they're they're all on, they're on board. You know, uh, they're very helpful, and uh, so we've applied for 14 separate U.S. Coast Guard permits for each one. For and, each uh, one, too, and, 14. and so are these going to stick all the way out of the water? Correct. Yeah, they they're will. 14 foot tall buoys, uh, eight feet in. Uh, out of the water, six feet in the water. Awesome. And they've got a blinking light and uh, radar reflectors, uh, GPS uh, transmitter that transmits twice a day. And um, basically, uh, I just copied and pasted what the configuration was over here. In Florida. And, uh, off of DeSoto Canyon or the Spur, mm-hmm. there's two sets of four that are six miles apart. The, uh, the each one is six miles out away from one another and uh, so we did a set of four just off of the shelf off of Texas uh, off of centered on tequila and then another set over the just to the west of the east breaks and then we had another set just in between centered on Colt 45 inshore of it between it and the shelf so uh, how deep is these areas for Um, anywhere from eleven hundred to sixteen hundred feet deep. So all the way to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And what's the anchoring mechanism like? It's two concrete blocks that are chained together. Uh, one is nine thousand pounds. The other is three thousand pounds. Wow. 
and then the chain the bottom chain is uh, we got 3,000 pounds of chain and each link weighs about 75 pounds yeah, it's just heavy-duty stuff. Really? And then does it chain all the way to the buoy? No. no. It's got uh, one and seven-eighths inch Euroflex rope. Rope? Really? Mm -hmm. And why rope, not cable? Um, I think mainly because of the weight constraints on okay. those kind of depths. Um, that makes sense. And, yeah. uh, I mean, the costs, you know. But uh, one of the advantages we have is uh, learning from – what they've experienced with Destin Fads and some of them breaking loose and analyzing. And so we've engineered ours to, uh, we've, we've put a lot of money into the engineering and on, on the, and it up, upping the, uh, the materials. So they're, they're much more, uh, robust right. and will withstand the, the rigors of being offshore like that. Right. And when are you guys looking to deploy these? I'm hoping, uh, Next month, hopefully, and if not really? then, hopefully That's August. exciting stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, navigating through the channels and making sure we do everything correctly. And uh, and then once they're deployed and we, we're going to maintain them and inspect them and they become uh, part of the U.S. Coast Guard private aids to navigation system as well. Wow. So they'll be actually be aids to navigation? Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting. They'll be listed in the... Uh, Oh, so they'll be listed as like uh, dead reckoning beacons and stuff like that, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they they the uh, notice to mariners and light lists and all that. Wow. So this is legit. <laughs> yeah. <we're laughs> as legit as you can get. <laughs> we're trying to make sure that you know we do everything correctly and uh, by the book, you know. Yeah. That's. Uh, That's but cool. it's going to be such a a great historical. Uh, thing everybody's so excited over there and uh, what a win for the fishery isn't it what a win yeah <laughs> so it'll bring the blue water fishery inshore within reach of the uh, charter fleet and uh, uh, the center consoles and um, and then also it'll shave off about a hundred mile round trip travel time on the sport fishers they're not having to go out real deep if they don't want Mm -hmm. uh, which is thousands of dollars in fuel savings. So we're we're reducing our carbon footprint <laughs> for these big uh, boats, and and then also provide the option for some, you know, for if they do want to go deep, they have somewhere to go to to jig up some bait on the way. Right. And if nothing they, else, it'll hold bait. Right. Right. Yes. And uh, and then if they are fishing deep and it's not, they're not doing. Any, any good out there like hey let's go back in and fish finish out the day at the fads on the way in you know right. something like that so a lot of advantages to them absolutely and do you think that this is something that could i mean you said y'all are gonna have six right or eight you said eight 14 14 i'm sorry yeah um don't know where i got that from well we're <laughs> you know we're from texas we gotta do things a little bit bigger you know, so. <laughs> so 14 but is, is there a possibility of expanding to even more or is it i'm not even looking at that right now yeah i, I guess just, it's, it's hard to even imagine i just yeah. want to uh, make sure we get this done correctly and yeah. and uh go from there go from there yeah see how well they work and all yeah that kind of stuff. make sure everything's good yeah, yeah. That's awesome, man. What a win. Thank you so much, man, as a fisherman. Oh. Like, I know that's a, that's definitely a feat, like, and I, I don't know, the, you know, that that's what I think we need to push for is top-to-bottom structure 
that you know can provide habitat for all different types of species of fish you know yeah it's i mean i think it's essential <laughs> i really yeah. do so the way we laid it out was to maximize your your uh, your opportunities when you're out there so let's say you fish fad number one and then you want to you'll slide up on the shelf fish the shelf over to fad number two and um then you maybe can slide inshore. Do we have a cutoff rig in 660 foot called the tequila rig? They they cut it off uh, 85 feet below the surface a few years ago, um, but it still holds fish, you know. So you can go hit that and then slide offshore, hit the hilltops, and uh, maybe come back up to Fad Three, you know, hit the shelf, hit Fad Four, so forth. So you kind of laid them out to where the fishermen can some have somewhat of a route to. Right. Take. Yeah. Uh, so the next set, you have the East Breaks, which is a famous spot for sailfish and marlin uh, off of Port O'Connor. And uh, fish the breaks, then slide over to Fad 5, and then hit the shelf, hit Fad 6, go inshore, hit the Falcon Cutoff Rig. Same kind of deal, you know. And then hit offshore, hit uh, Dutra, and, which is a big salt dome down there. And then slide, you know, go up to Fad 8, Fad 7, whatever. So that's, that's awesome just opens up your opportunities absolutely it provides yeah. more opportunity and more opportunity for fish to, to feed and have habitat and, and grow yeah and we're uh, we're collaborating with this new uh, research institute out of texas a&m galveston it's called the uh, research institute for highly migratory species and uh, they're going to be putting uh, transponders on uh, at least the four off of galveston uh, initially uh, because they're out of Galveston, and we're going to start there. So we'll we're going to use these as a platform for scientific uh, research to help with uh, understanding the migration patterns of the the cetaceans, the whales, and. The, uh, so they're going to use those as basically they're going to have like acoustic tags in some of the mammals and stuff and that will they'll be able to transpond and figure out when they come into the vicinity honestly i'm not exactly sure how the science works on that uh mm -hmm. but i do believe that's you're correct that they're uh i do think they also have them out here on the destined fads and there's i know they have a lot on the structures around the flower gardens and right. uh, so they're they're looking at these it's like the bookends to the destined fads and then we'll have the texas fads and then they have a lot of other transponders in between Right. So. Yeah, I know. I just um, one of my more recent podcasts that hasn't been released yet, but we tag we satellite tagged um, over twenty five triple tail with me last last season. Oh well, and uh, and they've also put out I think like thirteen acoustic tags. The the commission came on board as well, and did that. And so they had to. They were telling me how they do that, and and it's, they put these transponders in different places and so they get a ping whenever they pass within a certain distance or a certain lateral line i guess right and it's uh it's fairly interesting man i mean they they've seen these triple tail that we tagged go all the way to mexico and, what? and orient around rivers around that you know so it was it's really cool to see um and then you know all the you know we knew so little about triple tail you know just five or six years ago and, and we, we still know very little don't get me wrong but right we're figuring out more and more and um their their growth rates and stuff is, is really interesting stuff you should check it out whenever it's released yeah to hear it. i know in texas uh we have a little fish camp in Sargent, texas uh it's kind of in between freeport and matagorda 
on a little creek, and uh, we had a nice size triple tail in our lights off our pier. It's on a freshwater creek, you know. <laughs> it was, it's really cool. brackish, you know. It's fresh when it's raining a lot, but it's salty when it doesn't. Yeah. And then uh, the state water or the state record uh, triple tail in Texas was caught in the bay mm. off of a tr crab trap. Yeah, and so that's what we're actually learning is that these triple tail like to be really close to deep water but also really close to fresh fresh water oh really and, yeah, yeah they like to be really close to fresh water and i don't i don't know exactly yeah. why but i can tell you that you know it's very true off the coast of louisiana we have a lot of fresh water but also really deep salty water and so they seem to orient around that stuff and they've actually found huge concentrations of, of bigger triple tail around like the amazon river and stuff which is really interesting and the, the ones that we tagged um, satellite tag they actually made their way over to Mexico and then started orienting around their river systems over there so it's kind of wild how they know how to get there you know what I mean oh it's, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and how they how they do that but it's they also think that the um the whenever you see them in the sargasm lines and stuff that's more of like an estuary for them because you rarely see the real big ones like the state records and stuff they always come off of structure that's closely oriented to land and um you know the 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 they kind of grow up in these sargasm patches and then whenever they get to be size and then they'll you know kind of break off and they're, they're they think they're a really good candidate for aquaculture too which is really cool because oh, well. they can grow to be 10 12 pounds in a year so oh that's good yeah. <laughs> super cool super super cool stuff yeah <clears throat> um but uh I guess uh, moving on from here, is there, I mean, is there any, I don't like to cut people off. Is there anything else you have to say about like y'all's artificial reef program over there? No, um, really just uh, doing what we can at the local level to, you know, we used, I used to go to the Gulf Council meetings, uh, pound my fist on the podium and, you know, <laughs> say my piece. And, uh, Thank and, God. <laughs> and, and of course it never really did anything uh and so i i figured that if i really wanted to affect change i could do it better at a local level and yeah so we worked uh, i just started making reefs on the dock you know one at a time and and then uh the you know we developed a system for for producing these uh, we shot create that shoots the uh the sprayable concrete onto a rotating uh, steel form on a turntable so you can uh, kind of revolutionize the reefing production uh, processes and um, and then we were able to uh, win some contracts with the uh, the state to to produce them and deploy them right and how does the, is it most of the funding you said is coming from those like these different companies and they're giving it to the state and then the state is allocating it for you guys mm -hmm. very, yeah. very okay so uh cca has the building conservation trust which is their habitat arm that they raise monies for doing habitat projects all up and down the uh, gulf coast and east coast really right. uh so they've done a lot of good there um and then the uh, bp oil spill i don't the, you know the bp gave each state 100 million dollars initially to mitigate the damage from the oil spill and then each state has their committee they determine how they want to divide that up and so 
Uh, I think the first job was like a five million dollar job. You know, so that, um, that that gave us incentive to go in and try to build a better mousetrap right. at that time. So, so it's awesome. been you know good. It's uh, they're all in state waters again. All trying. the all the reefs are. Yeah. We put out about five thousand of them so far. Five thousand. Yeah. Wow. What a good job, man. Thank so you. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> the one uh, closest to our fish camp there in Sargent, uh, it's about fifteen miles from the pass, and it's in a hundred eighty, hundred sixty acre site. It's half mile by half mile size, and uh, it's got one thousand six hundred and five pyramids in it. Wow. Seven miles off the beach. Wow. That's so, a ton of habitat. <laughs> yeah, you can catch. Uh, legitimate 15 to 20 pound red snapper now and uh big kingfish come in there you know all the rigs have been ripped out you know ever yeah since, all uh, the shallow water reefs so these will mitigate the loss of all that what i consider to be essential fish habitat right. and uh cobia um we went out a few, let's say two or three years ago and 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 sank a boat on the uh, kate's reef out of Galveston and which is right next to the big man's reef and we had already deployed 180 pyramids a couple years prior and uh, so I brought some fishing poles out there just to do some scientific sampling (laughs) and uh, we went over and caught some nice I mean nothing huge I mean but you didn't have to measure right uh, and then here came uh, three big cobia about 45 pounders wow that's awesome. Yeah, so <laughs> it was uh it was good. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's super cool. And is there like I guess there's no way that you can attach fads to these state water reefs, huh? No, I wouldn't think so. Um uh, I'm not even looking at that at all. Yeah, you know? I don't think it's possible. I've kind of I guess I went up and shook shook my fist a little bit and enough to tell that there wasn't any kind of movement that was gonna happen no. for it. And it's a kind of a shame, honestly, because I like while I think that putting stuff on the bottom like you guys are doing is very great and essential, and it it does help snapper and other species, even cobia. But I think that that top third of that water column is where all your bait is held, and that and it kind of you know everything kind of trickles down from the bait, and yeah, you know the rigs they, you know we we made an exception for oil, you know, which is also a natural resource, you know, and I think right. we should make an exception for fish as well. But, you know, that way above our heads, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, ideally, if you could just leave the rigs in place and, uh, you know, but you get the, the lawyers get involved and liability concerns and uh, that, that it's just not going to happen. Yeah, this is not ever going to happen. No. Somebody told me, like, a lot of the these rigs that I've started fishing a lot, I mean, I fish everything on them, but especially, like, these – inshore near shore reefs where i catch cobia triple tail mangrove snapper all the mangrove snapper i don't know where you would catch a mangrove snapper in louisiana if it wasn't on a <laughs> you know a, t- a top water rig you know what i mean and right. we have giant giant mangrove snappers and um a lot of people are saying that within the next seven years all of these rigs are going to get taken out these near shore rigs and um you know and a lot of fishermen they, I still get phone calls and hate mail and stuff from people that are dear friends of mine that get mad whenever I post a picture with a fish in the rig in the background <laughs> because it's like you're giving up that spot. You know what I mean? Oh, I got you. And it, to me, we have to – if we have enough people that say that we should keep them, then maybe we have a chance. <laughs> but, 
Maybe not. <laughs> Probably not. No. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I I mean, what do you think though? I mean, it is it is a natural resource, and we we can make it better through having these standing structures. Yeah, but again, you know, uh, legal concerns, liability concerns, are overriding any kind of uh, benefit that may come from yeah. helping the uh, the ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. I think as times change, though, I mean, like the the availability of a good food source is going to become more needed, you know, and this is a way that you can improve, you know, a good food source, natural food sources, you know, these big, you know, big farming and stuff now is, I mean, it works and it's good. It feeds a lot of people, but this could be helped too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at uh, maybe getting into the, o- the oyster aquaculture. Uh, Are aquaculture. you? Yeah. Over wow. off Texas. That's awesome. Have you listened? I don't. I, don't, that I had a, a, a Angelo Sapetos on, and he heads he heads the aquaculture center in Mississippi, and I had him on, and he talked about all that kind of stuff. And I've been to their aquaculture center um, over in Mississippi, and that's some really really cool stuff. But they're uh-huh. actually saying that triple tail would be the, like one of the best aquaculture fish because of their hmm. the way that they um, they grow really fast. You know, they don't need a lot of area to swim in to stay alive and um, all that kind of stuff. So, but um, when are you, are you making any moves on that? No, <laughs> not right now. I got too many plates in the air right now. Just <laughs> trying to keep everything going that, that uh, I've got, you know, yeah. going right now. But uh, I don't know, just be kind of fun. Even if I didn't make any money, I like to eat oysters. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. And the the guy that uh sells me my boats I, or deals with my mechanic, Joey Furlan, Furlan's Marine in Gautier, Mississippi. Oh yeah. He uh he's actually heavily involved in, in cultivating oysters. Oh he is? Yeah. yeah. And um he's he's looking to make the move into doing triple tail as well. He's he's told me. So <laughs> be really cool to see that happen. But um I think it's a great thing. Like, I mean, you know, you could have, you know, these I mean, more oysters in the water just means cleaner water, right? <laughs> yeah, they they do a lot of things for the ecosystem. Uh, provide a lot of habitat for, uh, you know, small shrimp, crabs, and whatever, you know. And then they filter the water. So right. I think they're extremely important. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. And that's so cool. It kind of like, it's just like the next, I, I can see how your passion for conservation and making more habitat and it kind of just spirals into the next big thing, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Super cool. Well, yeah, just uh, like I said, just try to affect what you can locally. Yeah. And then that's where change will happen. So, you know, it, you never know where it heads. And yeah. It's just uh, a lot of things are out of your control, so you, you can't spend a lot of time or anxiety trying to change something that you can't. So... Yeah. Just focus on things that you can, even on a very small scale, you yeah. know, just. That's I like that works. advice. I'm going to take that advice. Yeah, man. <laughs> I yeah. really think that there's a lot of truth to that because, like, everybody wants to get mad at the big picture, you know, what you're seeing on the news and stuff like that. And, right. And all those people that come along with that. But it, you're right. It, it really does start locally. It starts, yeah. you know, with all the fishermen that are in your back pocket and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's. Yeah, just uh, and it starts with each of us, and just being, just being a having a, just being nice to someone, a stranger. You know, that's right. just the same kind of deal. You just it starts 
mm-hmm. with each one of us and very just uh, on a personal basis and absolutely that uh, that generates uh, a whole nother uh, that's where you you can really make a difference as well it's just uh yeah absolutely and yeah. I, s- I see that a lot with like uh all different types of fishermen you know we have recreational fishermen we have charter fishermen we have commercial fishermen all these different people and they all like to point the finger at each other. I've even right. been guilty of that. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's the <laughs> damn commercial fishermen. You know, they're right. they're the ones to point the finger at, or it's right. the, you know, it's the charter guys. They come here every day and they know where the fish are. We come out here on the weekend and we don't know where to go. They should have less limits, you know. And it's yeah. it's all that. And um, I think you're right. I think we need to come together and say, you know, more habitat is better for everybody in the game. It's it's better for every player. And, you know, if, you know, we didn't get here through fighting with each other. You know, we didn't, you know, America would have never came what it is if every every small group wanted to fight against each other. You know, we have to come together and say, you know, more habitat is better for all fishermen, no matter which way you look at it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of people uh, have accused me of being against the charter fleet, but I have, I've never been against the charter fleet. And what I'm doing now is to I'm hoping to help the charter, you know, is mm-hmm. – any recreational fishermen, it doesn't matter if they're on a charter boat or on their private boat, they're recreational right. fishermen, so I'm open to help them. And I like fishing in different places, so I'm kind of changing the subject a little bit here, but I'm, I'm heading down to Ecuador at the end of the month. Uh, really? Yeah. That's cool. To fish. Uh, we're going to fish the World Cup down awesome. there. That's cool. And, man. Oh, man, I'm excited about that. That's super cool. And uh, I was able to fish the Bisbee's uh, black and blue down in Cabo for that last October and um, you know it's kind of tough down there uh, just the uh, the last few years the the number of marlin weighed you know have been dwindling you know so a couple hundred teams fishing for three days and you weigh maybe three marlin or so you know so um, but I I use Hilton's to pop out the edges of the uh, tent breaks down there, and uh, they don't have any sargassum or any any uh, buoys. There's no there's no fads, very no, little habitat. No rigs, you know. Maybe so, that's the source of their problem. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my philosophy was let's let's look for any kind of surface structure such as a tent break, and we would go find them, and so. You could see it. It was really more of a trash line. Mm-hmm. It was a slick. And so you run the slick, and all you're looking for is anything that, that Really would, anything. Anything. <laughs> a piece of driftwood, yeah. a five-gallon bucket. Oh, hell yeah, man. There's a five-gallon <laughs> bucket. Well, you look underneath the five-gallon bucket. What What's there? Well, there's a school of bait, maybe, you know, about four feet in diameter. What's underneath the bait? Well, the Dorado underneath the bait. And then what's underneath the Dorado? Marlin. Right. So we we pulled four marlin off of fishing five gallon buckets. Really, off yeah. of five gallon bucket. Huh? <laughs> and so, and then we were actually fi- uh, fighting one, and I look out there, and out of the water, this fish comes up. It was like, I want to say seven hundred pounder. I'm like, and then, you know, there was eleven and a half million dollars in the pot. Eleven and a half million dollars, and this is in where is this at? In Cabo. In Cabo. Yeah, okay. the Bisbee's black and blue. Wow. <laughs> and we're like, oh my God, look at that! And then into the spread comes the fish that we're actually fighting. It's just a little male, about a hundred fifty pounder. You know, I'm like, oh man, that was the female that was right. making her presence known. We were fighting the male, 
and then that was the money fish of course but I marked that spot and I never I never left it the rest of the day but we weren't able to get her to bite never got her up huh? but just fishing five gallon buckets you know <laughs> in, in the Pacific Ocean <laughs> that's wild man so, I think the World Cup's a really interesting tournament that's it show. is isn't it yeah yeah it is so for the listeners it's uh, you can tell me if I get this wrong but it's every 4th of July is that right yep uh-huh. And you can fish anywhere in the world for yep. an eight-hour period? Well, I think it's 12.01 a.m. to 11.59 p.m. Oh, so Local time, day. you know. Full day. A full yep. day of fishing. But it's one day. And, yeah. And it's how much is that one? Like millions? Uh, I think it's over a million. It's Depends a million. on how many teams are in it and so wow. forth. But, uh, They've won yeah. it right off the coast of here. Yeah. A couple times. Yeah. I think uh, Jason Buck on the Dundee, on the Dundee won it one year. and uh, I had a friend out there watched him do the whole thing. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Joey Davis, I believe, was there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's exciting. I mean, you have teams in Hawaii, uh, teams in Cape Verde and Madeira and uh, here in the Gulf. South Pacific and all that. Everywhere, you know. So it's just uh, – I was able to talk with Fly Navarro when we were over in Puerto Rico last August for the uh, the San Juan Inter- International Tournament, and uh, he's an interesting guy. He, that's a guy you need to put on the podcast. You know, know who else told me I needed to do one with him? And he actually gave his number, and I talked to Fly. It was uh, Lee Alonzo. Do you know Lee Alonzo? I don't, no. He used to run the Bud Man. He's an, he's an old cat, but he's he's an, one of the nicest guys I'd ever met. But, um, yeah, I fly would be a cool one to do if i ever get down there by him <laughs> it gives yeah. me the opportunity or yeah. vice versa because he does a podcast right i think so yeah. yeah yeah that's cool where'd you see him at it was in puerto rico oh, okay yeah yeah we actually went over to uh, the symposium called the blue caribbean it was about an hour west of san juan where they're looking to bring in uh artificial reefs and other kinds, you know, things. They put out 23 fads. Really? Off of San Juan last year, but well, last spring. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I so. just, that I think that's what gets to me sometimes is you see like these other countries like Costa Rica and different places and it's like, ah, how many you want to put out there? Oh, uh, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then over here, it's like, ah, maybe not. <laughs> well, look at what's happening up the East Coast with the uh, right whales, uh, the slow zone and now they're looking straight out here of doing the same thing where you can't go over 10 knots are you familiar with that at all not at all no oh, well well actually i had a client tell me a little bit about it but go ahead because i'm not very familiar so they have these slow zones uh these uh, for to protect the whales they're afraid that if you go over 10 knots you're going to hit them and kill them hmm. and uh, has that been proven to happen before I don't think so. I, I think it's just another way for the environmentalists to try to shut down the fishing fleets. You know that right. they know they're not going to want to go ten knots for a hundred miles. You know, and whatever it is, uh, and then right out here they're looking to do the same thing for I think Reese as well. So, all, like, like all vessels. Um. Yeah, I think 35 foot to 65 foot or something like that. Are going to have to go slower than 10 miles an hour uh-huh. to make any kind of way. Yeah. Wow. If they pass it. So you got to go to, they have a public comment period that's going on right now that you need to go on and 
well, I will. comment against I will. it because uh, I'll that send you the link to shut down a lot it. of stuff for us. Yeah, it's just uh, sometimes it, logic just doesn't come into some of these equations. I don't know why. The science, but, right? That's what they say. It's the science. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, where where can people go and do that? Leave comments. Um, what I'll do is I'll uh, I'll post up a link on the Real Time Navigator uh, Facebook page. Okay. And maybe send you one. You have a Facebook page. Yeah. 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 So we I'll, can maybe I'll, post it with this podcast. Might be a good way. There to we go. Yeah. yeah. But we all need to uh, weigh in on this one because this mm-hmm. is uh, going to affect a lot of people. Yeah. But I think what would happen whenever you do something like that, and it, really when it comes down to, like I'm all for fishing regulations, but whenever you push fishing regulations to a point to where people don't feel like it's worth going out there, then you have a decline in the desire to go fishing. And what that would create is people not wanting more habitat. Because I have the philosophy that if we have more and more fishermen and more and people, more and more people that love this sport, then the more and more we can do to make habitat in order to, you know, make it better than what it used to be, you know. Right. And yeah. and if, you know, you make it to where people can't go more than 10 miles an hour, there's going to be very, very few people wanting to go out there <laughs> to go do that, you know. Well, you know, it's kind of like prohibition and uh, back in the 20s, I guess, or the 30s. And mm-hmm. so you have a very small minority of the temperance people that didn't want people drinking alcohol. And so they passed, I think it was the 18th Amendment to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And people just ignored it. And you had all the speakeasies and all the moonshiners uh, creating their own liquor and that created a whole other set of problems with, you know, unregulated alcohol uh, products and so forth. People getting poisoned and more criminals, right? And lot, yeah, that spawned uh, <laughs> spawned the organized crime uh, that uh, you know, all the mafia and all that stuff. I imagine so. That was, I think, the only uh, amendment that was ever rescinded from the Constitution because it just didn't make sense for people. Right. Yeah. So that's what happens. Did it anyways, right? So when you you pass a law that people don't think is is just, then they just ignore it. And uh, I'm not condoning that. I'm just uh, stating right. what I've seen. You know? Right. Yeah. That's so. what will happen. And nonetheless, if people have all these boats that are super fast and they're still selling gasoline <laughs> and diesel. Yeah. In, in my opinion, with that too, is that the 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 species that are in the water have been evolving for millions of years you know what i mean they've been there for a long 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 time and for them not to take in that into account that maybe these these whales can evolve to you know hear those sounds of the boats or just take maybe not even go into that area where these boats run anymore um you know i think that that has to take into account i think that these these species are a lot lot smarter than what we give them credit for at times and maybe you will see some some at loss but the the environment has a way of communicating with self with itself and i I really believe that i i just don't think there's a problem to begin with you know i mean the the number of whales that have been killed by boats running into them i mean it's minuscule and If you, I, I showed up at the uh, the Atlantic City Boat Show, I guess last 
February or March, whatever. And uh, all these whales are, are washing up dead on the shore there because of all the seismic work that they're mm-hmm. doing for all these uh, windmills or the wind turbines that they're I've putting out there. That, yeah. I mean, like, I want to say upwards of 100 whales have, have died. That many, wow. Yeah. So it's kind of hypocritical. They're saying that they're wanting to put these windmills out to, to as an ecological benefit to the country. And then in the mean, you know, in the process, you're, you're killing all these, uh, how does that work? Is these windmills are letting out like some type of trans electrical pulses? No, it's actually the seismic boats that are, uh, going out and they're, I'm not exactly sure how it all works, but it, it messes with the uh, whales, uh, acoustic system and it, it disorient them or I don't know exactly what happens. And of course the government, uh, denies it, that, that that's right. what's happening. Wow. So it's kind of a weird Yeah, it's a weird scenario. thing. Why not tear yeah. down the windmills? <laughs> yeah. So Let us keep driving our boats. <laughs> they're looking to put a bunch out here in the Gulf now. They are, Like yeah. the world's largest uh, windmill. All through farm. the Gulf or off the coast of Texas? Um, yeah, off of Galveston and I think off Louisiana. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, maybe a little bit different tack. Uh, the ones that they're putting on the East Coast are these big uh, poles, like a single pole that they have to drive down into the into the mud and that i think that and then maybe the seismic that they have to maybe dig the hole with i'm not an expert on this i don't claim to be right i think that's what's causing the the deaths of the whales and then the ones that they're they're proposing here in the gulf will be more like a tripod uh, oil platform so it won't have that same type of effect. Well, that'll be cool because that's more habitat. That's kind of yeah. like what I was talking about. It could be actually a beneficial thing for habitat. I yeah. guess they make exceptions for energy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I, don't, I just don't see how wind turbines make any sense. Um, and I mean, the only way that they make sense on land is because they're subsidized by the government. If they weren't subsidized, that wouldn't make any economic sense. <laughs> so how are you going to make economic sense by doing it out in an offshore environment, well, in, an, in a hurricane? Yeah, hurricane-infested place. Uh, yeah, hurricane alley. You know? Yeah, hurricane alley and then servicing them all and that kind of stuff. That's got to be very expensive. I know. It's You're not going to get out there by wind. <laughs> no. <laughs> right, yeah. Have the sailboats heading out with the... <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, we're living in an upside down world right now. You know, it's just uh, everything's going crazy, and it's like the Joker is taking over Gotham City, and yeah. what was bad is good, what was what was good is bad, and uh, nothing makes any sense uh, economically. Yeah. It's the stuff they're doing, you know. Yeah, so. it's hard to watch sometimes, but I think you're right. Whenever you say we have to focus locally, yes, that's it, right? That's, that's all you can do. Man. That's what you got to do. I think. Yeah. I think you've. You, I mean, I I think that's a great deal of advice because you you've been pushing for all this stuff a lot longer than I have. I mean, I'm you know I'm 28 years old. I have a real passion for the water and creating experiences for people out on the water. That's what I love to do right now. But um, my dad had a real passion for creating reefs off the coast of Mississippi. Yeah. And um, I think eventually that's the direction I'm going to take my life is to start, you know, working in, in some type of facet to 
you know, make make more habitat for for all different types of fish. And um, I think you're doing a really good job of it. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, <clears throat> I went to this uh, reefing symposium over in Florida um, a few years ago, and there was this old guy that stood up. He was some expert over there, and he was talking about the human race and um, that we, you know, we started out slow because we were living in caves, and then when the uh, the invention of the condominium came into play, then our population explodes, you know. So I raised my hand and I said, hey, well, what do you think about, you know, with artificial reefs, you know, those are the condominiums. So what we need to do is uh, build some uh, some publics, some uh, some rouse markets uh, <laughs> close by to to provide the groceries for the fish that are living in the condominiums. You you put different types of habitat out to to increase the productivity of the bait fish or the the forage fish that biomass yeah. yeah so you don't just focus on one one uh, aspect of the uh, the biomass you want to try to uh, provide uh, the best habitat for all types of fish from you know the building the ecosystem from the ground up yeah absolutely yeah. i've said that a lot about the coast of florida man they have so much tourism money and stuff that comes in there like what if they just built a you know like if you look at florida and what they really have that comes all the way out of the water it's i mean you have those fads that alex and them have worked so hard to get out there and then you have like the pensacola and destin piers you know what i mean and all the bait you see around all you know orient around these piers it's like man like why can you take this condo and put it right <laughs> right off the coastline right there and, and make more fish you know but um I, I mean i think about that too like on the east coast uh, and all that current you know the the gulf stream if they had fads there what a game changer that would be for them you know yeah i know i fished out there out of jacksonville uh last december and uh we caught some wahoo and some sailfish and i was like man y'all could really use some kind of structure out here you know uh it would be a game changer. I mean, it changed the game in Costa Rica. You hear all the older guys talk about that. Yeah, I don't know. The proximity of the uh, the Gulf Stream, you know, because it vacillates, comes, you know, comes in shore somewhat here and there. And uh, I don't know. That, that, that it's a different animal. takes some engineering. So I'm, that's over my pay grade. I'd have to <laughs> bring in some, some engineering. To yeah. I think it's really cool how you fish all these different areas. And, like, you kind of have a – you get more of a view of what works where and all that kind of stuff. That's well, you know, it's cool. a good, it's a big perk of what I do, and I, I'm able to jump on a lot of different boats, and uh, it's a great. Uh, yeah, your network of people's got to be really awesome. Yeah, I and, and I get to see uh, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different crews uh, fish. You know, I fished last year on the on the uh, Rising Suns with Toby Berthelow. Oh, did you? <laughs> He's my next guest. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's, he's got a great captain and crew and his daughters, the angler. And uh, so it's really cool to see them, you know, how they they were. And they were so successful last year on the SFC circuit yeah. and um, and just various other teams that I've been, you know, had the honor to, to fish with over the years. I, I really uh What is it do you that? think that um, – these teams have that's very essential and not like any of their secrets or anything but like what's the the basis that makes these teams job right 
Well, um, number one, there's only one captain on the boat. All right. <laughs> so when you get, you know, everybody has their job. And so if you do your job and then that's when the everything clicks together. You know, if you have one part of the, the cog that, that uh, doesn't work, you know, and then sometimes, uh, you know, I was on a boat one time where we, um, I think we were fishing the Mobile Big Game maybe about eight or nine years ago. And we had a, uh, probably about a 650-pound blue right up next to the boat. And um, and then the mate just flubbed the gaff. He, he just didn't didn't do, he, it, yeah. didn't do it right. We lost the fish there, you know. Damn. Um, Hate it for that guy. I know, man. Uh, it was bad for him, and you know, it for was the whole team. It, oh, it was. We were, yeah. It was devastating, you know. It, uh, but it was just a a mistake, you know. Everybody's human, and mm-hmm. uh, but you know, and I kind of blame myself because uh, I was trying to stay out of the way. But after that, you know, we got to fish the gaff. I'm right there, and I got a gaff in my hand. Yeah. You know, I'm ready to. Yeah. I'll dive in, and you know. Yeah help out however i can and so that was i put a lot of that on me I, just because i wasn't there to back him up yeah you know? yeah there's always so. different ways to look at it hindsight's always 2020 right I mean, i'm sure whoever that that mate was that was wanting to stick him i mean i'm sure he was thinking, oh i know i, <laughs> yeah. I could have done it sooner or you know yeah. i'm sure he just you know a, he knew what he had to have done you know he, he knew yeah. what, what would have had to take in place for him to make it happen but um and you know uh, in the overall scheme of things when we made it back in i'm not sure it would have even placed because all the fish were like seven and eight hundred pounders you know i mean yeah, it was a was huge big, big, tournament, big, big tournament yeah. so yeah so yeah, that's. I I think I think you're right. I think uh, everybody has a job. Nobody's any more important than anybody else. Right. Yeah. You know, we we all just have different jobs. And I'll I'll say that probably the number one thing is that um, you're supposed to have fun. You yeah. know, you want it. You know, if it gets too tense, if you're you have some guy that's up there barking orders from and stuff, yelling yeah. at you, and you know, it's like, you know. That what? don't work. No, it don't work, man. <laughs> I'm here to have a good time, you know. I mean, it's all about the vibe, so, man. It's so, all about the vibe. It's all about it, yeah. yeah. I so. think it's like a – I try to think of fishing a lot of times in terms of like karma. You know, if you put in that work and you have the good attitude and you're having fun, you know, the right. universe will kind of pay you back in the same way. Right. You know? yeah. And I think that's a cool way to look at it sometimes. Like, I don't know. I, maybe that's uh, me being a charter captain. You know, if I have a bad day, I'll just be like, "Oh, them guys need to go to church." <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's Something what, wasn't right today. I don't know what, what they it call was. it. Fishing. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, there's no no guarantees. It's uh, it's all about just trying to increase your odds. You know. Yeah. Getting a good captain is <laughs> is your uh, number Definitely one helps thing that helps and. Uh, and making sure you got a boat that'll get you out there and back, you know, yeah. just the little things. Yeah, know. and Hilton's <laughs> to tell you where the good water's at. Damn right. <laughs> so, you know, back to our original uh, questions on technology uh, with the sonar. Uh, you have basically, I think, three big game changers in the industry. One is the Sea Keeper, mm-hmm. you know. If your boat doesn't have a sea keeper on it, it's going to be hard to sell. I mean, that's the first thing they're saying. <laughs> does it have a sea keeper on it? Okay. Number two is, does it have a sonar? You know? Yeah. So that's it. And then the other 
of course the third one is Hilton's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they all uh, play a big part, yeah. man. There's no doubt. So, uh, and every every little thing gives you it's like everybody talks about fishing and there's not one thing that I can tell somebody to make them a better fisherman. And it's the same thing with what we're talking about with technology. You see you need every little inch you can get. You know, every mm-hmm. little thing down to the swivel that you use, down to the line you use, down to the rod and reel, the boat, Hilton's, all of it. You got to have all of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Anything to give you that little bit of an edge is yep. what you need. You know? And fishermen are so competitive, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. one guy has something, they got to get it. You know, the other guy's got to. <laughs> one guy's so. got a boat, you need to get the, be- the better yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that one's faster, so we got to get another one. Yeah. But it's. uh that's my idea with uh building stuff like built people building like like if you had like a billionaire instead of buying these big yachts to go bring out there you go build yourself your own rig out there <laughs> fly your helicopter out there put your you know put your thing in the water and you built the reef all while doing that you oh know yeah, what I, mean? yeah. But I don't know I, I could go on with that for yeah if i ever make a billion dollars i'll look at doing that <laughs> we need know. to have a billionaire that's a fisherman that wants to do damn that right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Just somebody with enough money can make that happen i really yeah. do think that you know money moves a lot of things laws and all the all the stuff in between yep. manpower <laughs> but um uh tom i really appreciate you uh coming on today is there anything else you'd like to talk no about? no paul thank you for having me it's always a pleasure being here awesome mm-hmm. awesome thank you so much and uh, maybe we'll do it again maybe in the same spot you never know <laughs> <laughs> cool thank you so, Bye, guys. Thanks.